Customers are cranky these days. So are employees. I'm Tama Frank, host of the Frank Reactions podcast on customer experience, and my goal is to teach you how your organization can succeed in this era of people shock, a time when human expectations are growing while human contact is shrinking. Every two weeks, the Frank Reactions podcast talks with leaders and researchers who can help you find the right balance between technology and people. Frank Reactions is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. This is episode 119, and it's part two of my interview with Matt Dixon, co-author of The Challenger Sale. In today's episode, we discuss the insight selling method that he recommended in that book. In part one of our interview, which you can find at frankreactions.com forward slash 118, in case you missed it, we discussed his book, The Effortless Experience, and we talked about how the amount of effort customers have to put in to deal with you affects your organization. Before we jump into today's interview, though, just a quick reminder that Alberta Women Entrepreneurs is hosting a learning day on February 20th here in Edmonton. And as one of our listeners, you can get a 10% discount on the already ridiculously low price of $129 for a full day of learning and networking. Register at bit.ly bit.ly forward slash A-W-E learning day, all is one word. Now, here's part two of my chat with Matt. My name is Matt Dixon, and I'm a uh, senior partner at Corn Ferry. I've got responsibility for our global Salesforce effectiveness business, uh, solutions business. So we are working with client organizations to help boost the effectiveness of their sales organizations. But I also spend a fair amount of my time also working uh, with clients on improving customer service and customer experience, since that's a lot of what I did uh, for my time when I was at CEB. Um, I really focused on uh, sales and uh, customer experience, customer service as kind of my my terrain areas. I found it interesting over the last few years to listen to the fact that there often seem to be disconnects between sales staff and customer experience staff or marketing staff. Why is that? And do you think that we're making significant improvements in that? In most companies, yeah, that's a great question. I I think um, it's almost like this this land war in Asia that nobody wants to get hold of. <laughs> Very hard to extract yourself from. But you know, it's it's interesting because uh, for the time, if I speak about sales for a moment, I think that the rift is most pronounced between sales and marketing. Um, and I think if you asked if you asked the average chief marketing officer about uh, his or her uh, sales counterpart, they would describe the sales organization as a bunch of, you know, cowboys and cowgirls kind of going off doing their own thing. They don't use the, they don't stay on message. They don't use the content or the the tools that marketing has provided them with. And if you ask the chief sales officer um, about uh, his or her uh, counterparts in marketing, they would say, well, they don't, you know, uh, they don't bring content or tools or perspective that actually help us sell. So the reason we go and do our own thing is because marketing isn't doing their job. Um, and I think the perception in sales is that marketing is kind of disconnected from the clients, uh, from what's really going on in the, in the client's world. They are a little bit too focused on, you know, branding and advertising and things like that, that have nebulous returns in the eyes of sales mm-hmm. and not focused enough on producing tools and content that actually helps uh, salespeople bring in good leads and move those leads through the through the pipeline. 
Um, I think that has gotten better over the past few years. You know, some of the work we did when we were at when I was at CEB around the challenger sale and certainly this broader movement around insight based selling. Mm-hmm. You know, I think one of the big stories about uh, this is that this is, I think, for the first time, unlike you know, product selling or, or solution selling that came before it, insight selling really is an approach that requires both sales and marketing to work. So it's um, we always used to say that, you know, insight selling is is partly about individual seller skills, but it's just as much about organizational capability. You know, we've got to the premise of an insight based sales approach is leading with insight that reframes the way the customer thinks about their own world, you know, brings them new opportunities and new ideas that ultimately lead to the solution that you're trying to sell the client. Mm-hmm. But the truth is that most salespeople, you know, you, we would definitely not advise that salespeople do that on their own. <laughs> it's a job of marketing. It's a job of sales, marketing, uh, product leadership in the organization to define here are the unique things that make our company unique. Here are the stories that will bring new ideas to the table for the client that tie to the things that we can sell them Uh and we can deliver for them. Um, That's the job of the company to figure that stuff out. And usually it's marketing Uh running point on that. So I found that over the past several years in, in a number of organizations we've worked with, who've been on this inside selling journey, you've been, you've seen sales and marketing come together in a way that you just didn't before because they have to, in order to get this to work. Um, And it's been very rewarding to see. I, I, I think, you know, part of the reason there was always this rift between sales and marketing is they just had nothing to collaborate on, frankly. And and this gives them a very principled um, area to uh, for collaboration mm-hmm. where they can both be successful. And they require it requires both sides of the coin to really make this model work. I think separately on on customer experience and there, I would say the rift um, the rift I've seen is maybe not quite so pronounced. It always struck me that chief customer officers were a bit more aligned with the chief marketing officer than maybe the chief sales officer right. was. But that's not to say that it's ideal there either. And I think one of the big pain points, if you would ask the chief customer officer or the key chief service leader, is that you know marketing is out there painting a picture, a rosy picture, mm-hmm. and they're, they're, they're leading custom clients and customers to expect a, an experience that maybe the company is not equipped to really deliver. Um, and so it leaves it leaves customer experience holding the bag um, sometimes. And so it's not as if we want to be out there airing our dirty laundry, but we also don't want to be teaching customers, as we say, teaching customers into the desert, but <laughs> teaching them to expect an experience that we just have no ability to deliver on. So based on the work that you've done, what are some of the most effective strategies for getting sales and marketing to actually collaborate? So I, I really do think, you know, again, if you look at... Um, if we dig a little bit deeper on that uh, insight-based selling approach, that again, that's been one of the most powerful collaboration opportunities that I've I've been able to be a part of a witness in, in client organizations. And what it really comes down to is um, quite literally getting a, in a room, uh, sales and marketing leadership, as well as product leadership and uh, and you know folks um, uh, from uh, corporate leadership together to really answer a fundamental question, which is. We, we call this the Deb Oler question. This De- uh, Deb is the person who coined this question. She's the president uh, of uh, Granger North America. And she came up with a question that led her and her team down this insight selling journey. And the question was, why should the client or why should our customers buy from us instead of from our competitors? Right. Most companies struggle with the answer to that question. You know, they'll come up with pretty generic answers like 
Great customer service. <laughs> yeah, we've got we're we're very service oriented. We're very customer centric. Yeah. We're very entrepreneurial and innovative. Or we're socially responsible, and those are all really important things. But they're not really things that make you that much different from your competitors. And if they if they don't make you different from your competitors, because if they did, then those other companies probably wouldn't be considered competitors if they weren't also customer centric and socially responsible and and uh, employee centric and innovative. And so the, the real question is, how do we define the thing, the capability that we can bring to bear for the customer that our cl- that our competitors can't replicate? Right. And then how do we tell a story that leads to that unique capability? And getting that right really requires um, getting those leaders from sales, marketing, product, everybody, our company together in a room. Yeah. And, you know, for lack of a better description, kind of hashing it out over a day or two mm-hmm. to, to figure it out and to see if, if what we are claiming really is unique. Is it credible? Is it something that we actually can deliver to the client? Is it is it really unique? Is it something that nobody else can replicate? Mm. Is it defensible? Is it you know, replicable across different clients, or is it a, a one-off that we only did right. for one client? These kinds of things, and and you can't really get to that answer, and then begin to to architect. Okay, if we've got agreement on the thing that makes us unique, how do we tell a story that you could actually take and put in the hands of your average salesperson to to address it or help illuminate a client opportunity, a problem, an, an opportunity for top line growth, an opportunity for risk mitigation cost savings, any number of objectives that then leads to our unique strengths. Mm-hmm. How do you tell that story? That, again, requires sales and marketing leadership to sit down in a room and, and literally storyboard out the right. slide deck. You know, what is the pitch deck we're going to build to put in our seller's hands? Yeah. And we're going to hold hands that this is the story they're going to tell to our clients. All of our content marketing, all of our advertising, all of our social uh, engagement is going to be geared towards feeding clients into that story um, uh, peppering insight out where customers are learning. And then this is the story our salespeople are going to tell. And we're going to teach them. We're giving them the tools and the training so that they can customize that story for different clients. But we are holding hands as a leadership team that we're going to stay on message. And this is the message we're going to stick with. That is a very powerful moment. And when you can get that group of people together, suddenly I think that you find they have a lot more in common than they, maybe they thought other uh, beforehand. And we, right. we, <laughs> I've seen this quite literally in these what we call messaging insight kind of messaging workshops where we'll we'll sit in a room and on day one of the the workshop you got all the sales uh, leadership team sitting on one side of the room <laughs> and all the marketing leadership team sitting on the other side right. and by that afternoon or maybe beginning of day two you find that they're there's some backslapping and there's, you know, people sitting, you know, mingling and actually getting to know their colleagues. And sure. like, hey, these aren't actually bad people. We're all after the same thing, which is helping our customers in new and powerful ways and, and growing and benefiting financially as a result. So how do you even get the senior leadership to the point where they're willing to sit down in that workshop? Like, do they have to be in a desperate situation before they're open to it? Or you have to have yeah. an inspired CEO or, or how does that happen? I think it's I think it, uh, it's a not a satisfying answer, unfortunately. But I think it kind of depends. I've seen it in a variety of uh, there've been a variety of situations which have driven driven this activity on the client side, uh, in my experience. So one is, uh, you know, the easy one I think is like the visionary leader, whether that's the head of sales, the head of marketing, the the CEO, the COO, the president of the business unit, um, reading some work around insights on whether that's the challenger sale, whether that's you know, um, uh, John Doerr and Mike Schultz book, uh, Insight Selling. There are a number of other great pieces out there. 
um, that that really point to the same conclusion that best salespeople lead with insight. Mm-hmm. And you sometimes it's that visionary leader who who picks that up and says, "Holy cow, this is what the future looks like." And sometimes they identify an opportunity to go out and create a different sales experience um, in a, what is otherwise a crowded and commoditized marketplace. So they see this as an opportunity to differentiate not just what they're selling, but how they sell uh, with their with their customers. Sure. So they jump on it um, for that reason. But sometimes it's also because there's some big problem um, in the business. So you know, we've, we've engaged with clients who've come, out, come and said, look, we are seeing more and more of our business going through RFP. We're getting squeezed on price. Our salespeople are struggling. We're seeing the gap or the spread between our top performers and our average performers get wider and wider mm-hmm. and wider. Um, you know, so you see those, you, you, you hear those burning platform, like, hey, we've got to do something different here. Um, and sometimes you see it uh, born of um, opportunity. So a lot of times where we're all engaged with companies around this idea is that when the company themselves, when they've come up with a unique product or solution that they that's come out of the product part of the business, they've they've come up with something really unique in the marketplace, and they need they need to do two things. One, they need to change the way that clients think about them because I think what they find is over time, especially in commoditized businesses, mm-hmm. you know, your clients kind of get in a groove and your customers get in this groove of just sort of putting you in a box and, and assuming they know everything about who you are, what you do, yeah. what you're there to sell them. And it's very hard to escape that. Um, and what that often, and when you have something new and disruptive, a new solution where you say, hey, no, 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 we're not, you know us for this, but now we're about much more than that. It can be a very hard, uh, very hard to change that dialogue. And hmm. a lot of that comes back to, um, uh, to actually teaching salespeople a different way to engage clients, which requires a different story that they're engaging clients with, an insight-based story. So we'll, we'll engage with uh, clients who are, you know, it's not as if they've, they've had no epiphany from senior leadership. They've got, they've got no horror show going on in their business, but it's more, hey, we've just created what we think is a world beater technology or solution that nobody else has. The problem is our clients know us for something totally different. How do we change the dialogue with them? Yeah. And that becomes a great occasion for it as well. So those are kind of the three that I tend to see. Okay. So you're now in charge of Salesforce effectiveness. What is involved in transitioning a sales team to get them to start doing this other type of selling? Because yeah. often it's a very different personality type. Do a lot of companies end up having to change who their salespeople are? I, I, I think so. So yeah, we, um, uh, so when we work with clients on Salesforce transformation, which is kind of a sort of an overused buzzword in the business, <laughs> but everyone's, everyone's at some point of transformation. And what we often find is, um, and, and what we'll tell our clients is that transformation creates this need to, um, if you will, align the spine, which is go from, you know, figure out if you're trying to go from A to B, hey, we're, we're making, I'll give you some examples here, but if you're trying to shift from selling products to selling solutions, or you're trying to yeah. shift from selling one kind of solution to, um, uh, or, or solution selling to more of an insight selling approach, right? Senior leadership saying, hey, we need to change the way we sell or the business suffering or a new disruptive solution you want to bring to market. And now you want to sh- change the game and, and go to insight selling. You may know that that's your strategy and that's where you want to go. But what you often find is that um, all the pieces or the vertebrae in the sales spine, if you will, are not aligned. So you need to think about Everything from the very top, the coverage model, right? How are we going to bring this solution to market? How are we going to bring that story to market? Um, you want to think about uh, the the people and how they're organized. 
Um, what kinds of people do we want exactly to your point? What's the yeah. profile of these people? Maybe we have product sellers and we need solution sellers. Maybe we have solution sellers and we need insight sellers. Um, you got to think about um, the uh, the way in which those folks are managed. You got to think about the way in which they're uh, compensated and rewarded. Mm-hmm. You got to think about the climate that you create inside the organization. There's so many different pieces that really sure. need to come together to make that successful. But I guess, you know, if you talk about specifically the salesperson, um, we always, uh, have, I think in my experience, what we found is, yeah, you're right, that not every salesperson is going to make that um, migration to be an inside salesperson. Um, some people are not going to want to, uh, so it's a will problem. Some people are, because they've been successful selling the way that they sell right now and there's no need to change. Other folks are going to be, are going to struggle more from the skill perspective. They're not going to be able to do it. But I think in general, you know, our experience has been over the years, uh, both our experience at CB and our, my experience here at Corn Ferry is that, you know, with the right um, training with and especially with the right manager coaching, which is crucial uh, in these kinds of transformation moments. But if you've got that stuff set up and if in the case of inside selling, if you've got the right messaging and content uh, that's been built by the marketing team to enable that, you know, 70 percent, 80 percent of your sellers can do it. Now, again, you're going to have some folks who who are they're so far off from a skill perspective that it's such a it's such a chasm to cross or they just opt out. Right. They say, look, I don't yeah. I don't sure. this place of, of leading with insight. I kind of like selling the way I've always sold. Yeah. And what's keeping them up at night? The idea of going in and telling what should be keeping them up at night. Well, that's that's not something I want to do. And I'm just going to take my skills and, and go elsewhere. And so folks will opt out of the journey. But that's that's kind of typical. I think you'll find that in almost any sure. sales transformation. I think above all else, at least in the case of inside selling, I do think the two keys to getting it right are the messaging component, as we talked about earlier. And the other one, which we didn't talk a lot about, is the manager, the sales manager. Mm-hmm. You know, The number of sales executives I've, I've spoken to, um, especially recently, it's been interesting. I've spoken to a number of longtime clients who are just coming up on retirement or have just recently retired. And many of them are saying, you know, when I look back on my, you know, 20, 30 years of leading sales organizations, what I realize now only in hindsight is that I spent way too much money on sales, things like sales training and not enough money on manager development. And the, the reality, I think, that many of these sales leaders have realized is that a great sales manager will outperform, even with a, a below average team, will outperform a poor sales manager with a great team. And the, the impact of that sales manager is just massive. And so much of that impact, I think, comes down to their ability as a coach to really um, help their salespeople understand and develop the behaviors known to drive success. And, and the reality is I think most sales managers confuse coaching with performance management. You know, they uh, what we might call spreadsheet coaching. Um, <laughs> but, you know, asking how many visits have you done this week? Or, right. Where is this deal? Or have you sent out that proposal? Or have you yeah. responded to the RFP? That's not coaching. That's performance management. Yep. And, you know, coaching is, uh, in many respects, agnostic of activities and, and deals and pipeline. It's about your behaviors and, and developing yeah. competencies over time. And yeah. we don't, we in sales management don't take enough time to really focus on that. We don't know what good looks like. Nobody's mm-hmm. taught us how to do it well. Uh, you know, often there's a, we're pressed to fill out reports and do pipeline reviews and all these kinds of, you know, pressures on our time that we do, it sort of falls by the wayside. It's a, we don't make time for, but it's it's absolutely critical. Can you talk a bit about what you perceive as the difference between solution selling and insight selling? Because yeah. when I learned about solution selling, it sounded the way I interpret it was very much like what I think you're describing as insight selling. 
Yeah, yeah, uh, it's, a, it's a great point. So I, I think one of the, the important things to think about is that inside selling probably represents what I would call um, a evolution, not a revolution, if that makes sense. So it's not what what people need to understand is that the skills of the solution seller are absolutely foundational and critical. So if you think about something, for instance, like um, uh, questioning skills, which is a, a core part of being a great solution seller, yeah. diagnosis, this kind of thing. You know, in an insight sale, questions are still a critical part of the dialogue, a critical part of how uh, insight is communicated and, and absorbed and appreciated by the client. But the way in which the questions are used will change. And so uh, it's not as if you're telling sellers, hey, sorry about the, you know, the past 20 years you spent mastering solution selling. You can join that. <laughs> so it's, it's more, I think, as Neil Rackham said very well. You know, solution selling skills, those core skills of being a great seller in a complex sales environment, it's kind of the cake. And, and inside selling in many ways is the new icing on the cake, uh, mm-hmm. which is design, you know, is is uh, critical to be successful today. But I think the big difference is this. And, and it's uh, it's an overgeneralization, I'll admit. But I think if you were really to get down to it in an elevator pitch kind of way, what I would say is um, solution selling is really rooted in this idea of needs diagnosis, that we can go in and we can ask the customer what's keeping you up at night mm-hmm. to understand what they need and to see if there's a match between their needs and our solutions. Yeah, uh, That's the fundamental premise of uh, solution site. There's a lot more to it, of course. But insight selling is much more about leading with insight, insight about new opportunities, risks, uh, risks, cost savings opportunities, revenue growth opportunities, employee engagement or, or market share, stealing opportunities, whatever it is. Um, leading with insights that effectively tell the customer what should be keeping them up at night. And if they do it really well, what you're doing is you're bringing an idea to the table that the client themselves hadn't really thought of before. It's surprising. It's um, Other people have called it kind of provocation-based selling. It's designed to push the com- customer outside the comfort zone a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, again, the difference between asking the customer what's keeping you up at night and telling the customer here's what should be keeping you up at night. Now, the way in which that's communicated <laughs> Questions are a critical part of that, of course. Right. And, and having all the soft skills and the consultative skills of a solution seller is absolutely critical to get that to do that well. Yeah. But that's the big difference. And I think part of that is rooted, I think it's rooted in a couple of things this shift. One is um, the fact that as we know now, you know, back in the back in the 70s when um, uh, Matt Cannon and Neil Rackham and other pioneers kind of coined this idea of needs diagnosis and solution selling. This was an era before the internet. You know, this was an yeah. era before really procurement was was uh, formalized and, and became very sophisticated. And so, this was an era in which um, you know you could go in and, and ask clients those those big open ended questions, and they would answer those questions for you. You know, today what we know is that customers are engaging salespeople much later than ever before in the purchase journey. They're waiting until very very late to pick up the phone and call a salesperson because all the stuff about your company's solutions, your customer success stories, your features, benefits, your ROI calculators, all those, you know, all those things are on your website. You right. Know, you can you can go and check on clients by going to LinkedIn and, and asking your network, hey, have you done business with these guys or those guys? And what do you think? Yep. And you can kind of get to a short list pretty easily, put everything you want into an RFP, and then you call the suppliers and say, hey, we, we know what we want. You made the short list. We want you to compete for the business. <laughs> and so that's a really tough place to be. And what we found is the salespeople who succeed in that world are taking much more of an insight-based approach. They're engaging. They're earning the right to engage the client early because they're bringing new ideas to the table. So 
you know, I, I think the way you think about it is that insight today, we're still we're still fundamentally in this business of building great client relationships. Yeah. But what we're trying to do is shift the relationship from being reactive and responsive and just doing, you know, asking the customer what they want and doing whatever they say to um, a relationship where the currency is really more about the insight we as sellers can bring to the table, mm-hmm. uh, the new opportunities we can teach that client to appreciate uh, that, you know, uh, uh, in a commercial way, we can also help them deliver. Um, we have solutions that speak to. I think the other thing I would say is the solution selling approach, even if you put that um, at the advent of information and the fact that customers are learning on their own, you put that aside for a moment. The fact is that if you ask clients about the solution selling approach, coming in and asking big questions and, you know, the death by questioning, as I've heard clients <laughs> describe it, yeah. it's, it's become, it's started to wear on clients over the years. And I think they've gotten to a place where most clients are under-resourced. They are, um, they're running a million miles an hour. They are struggling to keep pace. They don't have the time or patience in a way they once did to sit there and educate a salesperson. And so they want a salesperson to come in and bring a new idea to the table. You know, if I'm going to make time for you, don't waste my time by asking me to tell you what's keeping me up at night. You should already have a hypothesis about what is keeping me up at night. And then you should come in and tell me what are your best clients doing to address that, that I'm not doing, and what's the thing I'm missing? Because otherwise, I don't have time for you, you know? And, yeah. and I think I, I hear this from clients all the time. They they appreciate and they understand why why salespeople still rely so much on open-ended needs diagnosis and questioning because, you know, it comes from a good place. Salespeople don't want to be presumptuous. Yeah. They want to show great empathy. It's the old, you know, Stephen Covey principle of seek to understand before being understood. Yes. However, what... What clients would tell you is that they don't, it, in today's world, that is not valuable to them. And what they, what they say, if you were truly empathetic to me as a professional, as an executive, you would come in and we would start the conversation in a very different place. You would have done your homework. You would have said, hey, I know we haven't met before, but I, I work with clients like you and I did some research on your company and your business. Are these the kinds of things that you're working on right now? Okay, am I in the right zone? Yeah. Okay, got it. Now, here's an idea that we're we are working with our top clients on that I'm wondering um, if you are working on, and, and maybe it's an unseen opportunity that we might be able to help you with, that is a much more valuable right. dialogue than just coming in and saying, hey, can you tell me all about your business and your priorities? So Right. That's really important. Well, and it drives me crazy when I keep reading sales advice, you know, saying, what's keeping you up at night? Ask them that. And I'm thinking, are you serious? Like, oh, gosh. they've heard that I, way too I, much. I who told me, um, it was really funny, told me, uh, uh, you know, what's keeping me up at night is the thought of the next sales coming in to ask me what's keeping me up at night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And how can I keep them away? Yeah, yeah. Having listened to Matt, I promise you that if you subscribe to the Frank Ideas newsletter, which I hope you already have or you will, I won't ask what's keeping you up at night. Though honestly, I would kind of like to know. So if you'd care to share that with me, just send me a quick email, tema, T-E-M-A at frankreactions.com or send me a tweet at Tema Frank. One of the things that's keeping me up at night is that the audience for this show seems to have leveled off, even though all the reviews and comments we've had have been super positive. So if you find this podcast worthwhile, it would be awesome if you'd tell your friends and colleagues about it. Right now, if you're not driving, you can send them a text or email telling them to check it out at frankreactions.com forward slash show or to look for the Frank Reactions podcast on customer experience on iTunes or whatever other podcast listening app they use. 
And if they don't use one yet, show them how. A lot of people would really love a lot of the content that's out there if only they knew how to access it. Another thing that keeps me up at night is listening to good podcasts, which I tend to do as I'm supposed to be falling asleep. Some of those podcasts are by my fellow podcasters on the Alberta Podcast Network, which is generously supported by ATB Financial. Speaking of ATB, I've had accounts with a lot of banks, but last year we switched our investments over to ATB because we really valued the non-salesy approach of the advisor that we're working with. He really seems to have our best interests at heart. And now, in your best interest, I'm going to stop talking and let you move on with your day. I'll chat with you again in two weeks. Thanks for listening and for sharing. Bye.